So if you keep laughing, because you know I'm going to fall on that rug one of these days. <clears throat> I hear you, even when you're not making noise. <laughs> hey, we uh, had scheduled this coming Friday and Saturday a marriage conference. Some of you, a number of you were signed up for that. We had to cancel that. Our presenters, Tim and Linda Buttery, um, there's some surgery a couple months ago. Anticipation was everything would be good by now. Um, and it's not good by now, so they had to back out. So we continue to pray for them. Uh, we have scheduled, uh, just as a kind of a pivot from that, a date night for Friday night for uh, hopefully for everyone that was at the conference, or maybe some more of you. Um, the, the practical part is that uh, we've scheduled child care here from 6 to 9, um, just at, at no cost to you. So we just continue to want to invest in our families, in our marriages, and that would give some of you, for some of us, we, we don't need that anymore, <laughs> but for some of you, you definitely need that, and so we want to encourage you to spend some time together. We will take care of the kids, and they will be safe. We just need you to register so we know how many kids we're taking care of. So that's this coming Friday, 6 to 9. Um, you can sign up. There's a, a header at the top of your sermon notes, or you can just check out the website or give us a call at the office, and we'll get your kids signed up for that this coming Friday night. Some of you... Most of you actually come across 55, across the railroad tracks here. We know when, you know, 10 or 12 of you all show up at one time on Sunday morning, you probably were all bonding in line waiting for the train to go by. Um, next week, uh, this coming week, I think starting tomorrow, if I read the song, sign right, through next Sunday, that railroad crossing is going to be closed. So for some of you, getting here um, at 1030 is already a bit of a challenge. Um, you're going to need to allow a little extra time and plan a different route next week so that you can uh, get here on time for our services. Just note that that probably is not going to be available for you next week and um, some changes might be in order just for that week. You know, as we've read through the book of Genesis, the, this last part in the story of Joseph, um, for me, it has, uh, it's, it's made me miss my dad some. I don't talk about it very often. I don't talk about him really that often. Um, he did, he passed a long time ago, it seems like. I'm, I'm now a year older than he was than when he passed. So he passed when I was 33 years old, 23 years ago. Um, and I've often thought about just how much I've missed out as an adult, um, not being able to call my dad and say, how, like, when I was at this stage, how, why did you let me live, and how did you let me live, and how am I supposed to let these boys live, especially, I thought of in relationship to him. Questions about, um, about family traits and things that happened in the past in my family. Um, I would have loved to see him as my kids grow up, uh, as, as a grandfather, right? Things that I just didn't get to see very much of. I um, wondered if my kids would have... Um, a better relationship with him growing up in their lives than I did for part of my life. When I was young, he coached my baseball teams and my football teams, and I felt close to him, certainly. And then when I was 12, my parents divorced, and we lived in different parts of St. Louis, and time together seemed to be kind of hard to come by. Uh, and then when I became a Christian at age 15, it, it became even more challenging because the things that I embraced as a Christian, were things that he shunned. Things that became really important to me just had no interest to him. So there was a season of that, and then 
when when I started having kids, um, there's a bit of a reconnection. I know, and and he expressed that he was he was proud of me as a dad, and and things got to be a little better there, and at times even good. And then when Christopher was five, and Mariah was three, and Kyle was two, before Philip was even born, um, he came down with cancer, and um, and fought really hard for probably a year of his life. Um, the beautiful part was he went into remission, and those two years that he had in remission were probably our best two years that I remember, certainly as an adult um, in our relationship. He, he met Jesus during that time, and, and a lot of things changed. And then two years later, uh, he eventually passed away when the cancer just literally ravaged his body. And, um, and it's been 20 years 23 years since that happened, um, and I still miss him, right? And what settles my spirit and what just makes it peaceful for me is knowing that I'm going to see him again. So 23 years, by my calculations, is probably about the amount of time that it's been since Joseph, in the book of Genesis, has seen his father. Okay, turn to Genesis 45. We're going to pick up where we left off last week, just touch a couple of pieces in chapter 45 and then move on in the story. So you think about um, if you are an adult, like the amount of things that would have happened, the amount of things that have happened in my life in the last 23 years, and uh, it certainly seems like a whole lot more than what happened in the first 33 years of life, but could just be a perspective. Um, And let's not forget that, that not only has Joseph not seen his father for 23 years. He's also not seen his brother Benjamin for 23 years. I'm not sure he cared that much about seeing the brothers that sold him into slavery, but certainly his brother that wasn't part of that Benjamin would be a big deal to him. And and remember, like I, I had time with my dad to say goodbyes and there were no things left unsaid or things left undone. And I, I, I so appreciate that. But for Joseph and Jacob, and for Joseph and Benjamin, his brother, there were no goodbyes. There were no last words. There were no thoughts that we might not ever get to see one another again when they parted. And so life had brought pain for them. And life had brought separation for them. And I don't get any idea when I read through the text that Joseph or Jacob or Benjamin, either one, had any hope that they would see each other again in this lifetime. So Benjamin and Jacob thought that Joseph had died. And Joseph didn't know what was going on back home, but he had um, separated himself from his family and established a new life in Egypt and kind of, uh, in his mind, maybe that life no longer existed, except for the fact that it did right? And so last week when we read chapter 45 and Drew walked us through that passage, we got a sense of what might have been bottled up inside Joseph for now 23 years. He's not just reconciled with his older brothers, which is significant, but he also is reunited with his brother Benjamin. Look at verses 14 and 15 there in chapter 45 and try to capture the the feelings he must have felt. It says, then he, being Joseph, threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and he wept over them. 
And you can imagine the flood of all of those thoughts and feelings and all of that coming back after 23 plus years. And then when we ended last week, at the end of chapter 45, we find the brothers, I'm sure still scared and still trying to figure out what in the world has just happened to us, on their way back home, trying to convince their father that the son that he thought was dead is actually alive and second in charge of Egypt and a ruler there. And Jacob finally responds in chapter 45, verse 28, to the boys, I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive. I will go and I will see him before I die. Okay? And, and I'm reminded throughout the story of Joseph of a truth that's played out many times in Scripture, and, and I would venture to say probably played out many times in our lives, and that is this, that God sees his work from beginning to the end, but we do not. <laughs> he knows what's going on. He knows how this is going to play out, but we don't know how that's going to be. Like, we've experienced the past, and it's had its goods and its bads, right? And we live in the present, but our view... Um, of the future is dim at best and often clouded by our own inadequacies. And yet, nonetheless, there's truth in the words of Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, when he writes, But he, meaning God, has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom, listen, what God has done from beginning to end. And that's the truth. <laughs> we just can't imagine how everything is going to play out at any given time. So as we flip the page to Genesis chapter 46 now, Jacob is filled with hope as he sets out to see his son Joseph for the first time in 20 years. The son that he thought was actually dead. But this is more than about Jacob and Joseph. Okay. They, they're part of a, a bigger story that God had begun with Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, where God promised to build a nation. And Jacob is about to receive confirmation of God's plan here in chapter 46. And it's a significant part in the big story, even though it's sometimes overshadowed by all of these reunions and reconciliations going on in the smaller story. Look down at verse 1 with me. It says, so Israel, okay, now that's Jacob's name. Jacob was given the name um, Jacob upon birth. Uh, but after he wrestled with God, um, he was given the name Israel. So we find him called both in Scripture. So Israel, it says, set out with all that was his. And when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And Jacob spoke to Israel in a vision at night. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. So, just take note of what's going on here. Let's not miss the fact that en route to what could be, in his mind, maybe the best or one of the best days of his life. 
He's going to be reunited with the son that not only he's, has he been apart from, but he actually thought was dead, and he finds out that he is actually alive. And he, he's carrying everything he owns and all of his family. If we've been reading through Genesis, we know that this is a big group of people with a lot of stuff. And yet in the middle of that, or on the way, he stops and offers sacrifices. And he worships. His life has been challenging. His family broken even more than he knows because he doesn't know all the story. He's barely surviving with his family, this worldwide famine. And yet he takes time to worship God. He takes time to offer sacrifices. And it's just a reminder that, it, that in difficult times, okay, that, that our actions often show exactly what's at the core of our lives. And at the core of it all for Jacob was this relationship that he had with his God. And I think it's in response to this that God appears to Jacob in a vision. Okay? And I think there are two parts of this vision that have to be just so um, reaffirming to Jacob as an individual. And the first part is that he tells Jacob that he will go with him down to Egypt. That God is going to be with him. And that, that God is assuring him, this is actually part of my promise to build this family into a great nation. It's part of my plan. Um, and though we talk about it fairly regularly, I just would use the opportunity to remind us again that the same God that's telling Jacob that he's going to be with him and go with him down to Egypt, that's the same God who has told you, I will never leave you or forsake you. And in times of crisis and challenge, that is really helpful information to remember and that we ought not forget. Now, think about Jacob. If you had heard from your grandfather all of your life about how God at, at a very old age... <laughs> had made your grandmother pregnant and begun this family when they were told they couldn't have a family and made promises that, that the number of offspring that would grow out of this relationship would be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand in the seashore. If, if you heard about God's faithfulness to your grandfather and his faithfulness to your father and now you are the patriarch of the family and it's obvious that it's going to come whatever comes through you. But here you are sitting in the middle of a famine with one son that you thought was dead and now is alive. And all of the chaos that we have read about through Jacob and Joseph's life in these last few chapters of Genesis where the, where the plan seems out of control, right? And if you're Jacob, you're like, ah, man, I had a great grandpa, <laughs> And I had, a, I had a pretty good dad, but I'm not sure where it goes for me because I don't seem to be doing much to get the plan moving along type of a thing. God reassures him the plan is still alive. And all of this is indeed going to come through you. So I know you're headed to Egypt and I know things seem out of control, but I will go there with you. Even in this present chaos 
And again, just a good reminder for us in the present chaos that sometimes we find ourselves in. Whether it's a chaos of simply just raising kids, maybe the chaos of losing family members, the chaos of COVID, the chaos of the current economic climate, chaos of whatever it might be. God would tell you, like, I'm still with you in all of that. It's not out of my plan. I understood I understand what's going on, and I'm still with you. And how reassuring for Jacob in the midst of his personal chaos to know that God was with him, even going to a place that he'd never been before and not know what to expect. And the second thing you got to know was just so reaffirming to him is when he said, and Joseph will actually close your eyes with his own hand. Okay? Now, from... Jacob's reaction at the end of chapter 45 and what we read again or we will read here in chapter 46 Jacob's ready to die he's like I'm good <laughs> from here on out I got I'm going to get to see my son that's all I need when we read through the chapters of Genesis we realize he's really got another 70 years of his life to go and what a beautiful thing for him that though the last 20 plus years Things have been so fragmented for whatever remains. In his case, it's going to be 70 years. Jacob is going to do life with his son once again. And it's a beautiful blessing for him. So I think that vision is just an important piece. And so, so Jacob sets out to worship God. And God meets him in a vision. And that's going to lead us to just this beautiful father-son reunion that comes next in our text. Jacob. Um, along with his family, right? Everything he owns is taken down to Egypt. And when they arrive, Joseph is going to be there to meet him. We pick it up in verse 29 of chapter 46. It says, Joseph had his chariot made ready, and he went to Goshen to meet his father Israel. And as soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and wept for a long time. Israel said to Joseph, now I'm ready to die since I have seen for myself that you are still alive. Now, if you're Joseph, you're thinking, no, 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 no. <laughs> Not now. Like, we're just getting back together. Don't do that to me. But it gives you a sense of, of what's going on inside Jacob's heart. I mean, talk about your bucket list. Like, have you ever had um, a clarifying moment in your life like this? A moment in time where even your dreams and your hopes um, get clarity. Okay? And your priority list all of a sudden gets prioritized. It's just that kind of moment going into him. Because when I read this text of chapter 46, I, I, I disconnect from the bigger picture of what is going on and all these other pieces. To me, you see a, like a father and son just reuniting. The thoughts of his death, they've vanished away. The years of heartache melt away. All of Jacob's hopes are fulfilled in a single embrace. I mean, do you, do you sense the weight that he feels and the release that he feels when he says, now I'm ready to die since I've seen for myself that you're still alive. Like this isn't about family here. I mean, not the bigger family. It's not about God's building of a nation. The brothers fade from the particular from the picture. I think the betrayal of the brothers, it, it just, it's, it's cut out of the whole thing. Lies, 
cover-ups, <laughs> sibling rivalry. Do you think any of that meant anything at that moment? Because I, I don't think it. I don't think it did. Here, an aged father is reunited with his long-lost son, and a son that was severed from that relationship is reconnected to his father. And literally, I think Jacob is saying, if nothing else happens in my life, I could die at this moment satisfied and at peace. And I hope you've had those kind of moments in your life (laughs) where you're satisfied and you're at peace because that's what's going on with Jacob. And God has other plans and there's still more to go. And so we zoom back out of that um, interaction to realize that there's still um, a journey to go on. There's still more things that are going to be added to this picture in the coming chapters. And so back in Genesis, Joseph is going to help his family prepare to receive the blessings that are coming their way. So the the last part of chapter 46, the first 12 verses or so of chapter 7, they're going to show us that, that Jacob is going to prepare his family to meet the Pharaoh. He's going to prepare Pharaoh to meet his family. And so five of his brothers go to meet Pharaoh. And and Jacob, his father, at age 130, goes to meet Pharaoh. And Pharaoh gives them, because they're shepherds, the best land in Egypt to graze in. He makes that their land and gives that to them as a gift. And I suppose if you're just reading the story, you might come up with a conclusion that I think a lot of people come up with, and that is, you know, life is about all who you're connected to. You get connected to the right people, and it takes you places you couldn't go on your own, and if you're not connected to the right people, then, you know, you just, you miss out on the opportunities of life. And some could read that's what's going on here. I mean, after all, they were connected to the second most powerful man in Egypt, right, Joseph himself. A lot of people think your best life comes from the connections that you make. For me, that's, a, that's just a too shallow of an interpretation of what's going on here in Genesis. Because I, I see this divine tension being played out before our eyes. Okay? And that's a tension between two extremes of thinking that people have with regard to God and his work in our world. Some people would say... You know, God caused all this to happen. You read what Joseph said, and God is obviously the one who made all of this happen, and yet I don't think that view honors the free will choices that we're given as as God's creation. It doesn't reflect our experience with our life or the lives of the people we know. I mean, after all, do we really think that God made these brothers make the choice to sell Joseph as a slave? And yet on the other end of the spectrum, we have people that somehow believe that that God simply allows things to take place. I mean, he did create this world, and then he just kind of stepped aside and said, well, you guys work it out, and I'll come back at the end. (laughs) And yet I don't think that particular view honors the way we see God engaged in the story. Remember what Joseph himself said to his brother. He said, it wasn't you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. So how do you reconcile those two thoughts? Okay. Let me give you just an illustration that, that um, none, are, none are completely perfect. This is how it kind of played out in my mind. Many of you know 
um, our grandson, Talon. All right? And you know, he has probably as big a heart as anybody I know except for Karen herself, right? And if you know Talon, you know that um, like he's full of compassion. And he would do anyone, anything for anyone if he thought he could help them. And so um, if it means he needs to give time or money or effort or a listening ear to someone that he thought what he might do would ease their pain, then he's just kind of all in, right? It's the beautiful part of who he is. That said, like if you would ever play him in a game of chess, you would think that he's a completely different person, okay? Because he is. Like when you play against him, there is no grace, and there's no mercy, and there's no compassion, Okay. And he will tell you that he was taught to play that way by his dad, because he was. <laughs> and you might, well, how do you know that? Well, because I've played Talon in chess just one time. Okay. And I'm probably ever only going to play Talon in chess just one time. Okay. When we played, like, for me, it wasn't, playing just doesn't capture it. For him, that worked out. I, I, w- I was simply the victim, I think, uh, of his plan. Like, he's really good. And I appreciate that part, but I don't appreciate that for him it was completely entertaining, while for me it was just completely humiliating, okay? This is a warning. If he ever asks you, just run or stay away, okay? Now, by purpose of illustration, I don't think God ever purposes to humiliate us in life. That's just not how he is, Um, in that chess game with Talon, like, I was free to make whatever move I wanted, okay? But the whole time, like, I knew him well enough to know that whatever move I made, he just, it just determined what moves he was going to make to take me out, you know? The only question was, how many moves would I actually get to make before the game would be over, which was, in my case, was just not very many, <laughs> okay? Now, in this divine tension, here's the point that we see going on in Genesis, Um, And really throughout the Bible all the time, like from the creation of man, beginning with the fall of man, we have all been making our own moves, our own choices. And some of them are under the influence of the evil one. And some of them are under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes it's other people that influence us, but we are given the opportunity to make our own moves, if you will, to make our own choices. That said, God is also participating in this life. And he's responding to the choices that we make. And yet, unlike my chess opponent, God is full of grace in those moments. And he's full of truth. And he's full of love. And because of that, he actually wants what's best for us in life. And with that picture, we read a scripture like Romans 8.28 that says, We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. As we've read the story of Joseph, as we've watched some pretty low lows and now a couple of high highs, we've watched God thread his work through all of it. And this is the divine tension. God wants to bless us. And he wants to give us opportunities to receive his blessings, but he's not going to override our free will to do it. That's the tension we live in. That's the reality of our world. 
That said, like if our heart belongs to him, if our life is his, even though we don't live fully devoted to him in every way, meaning we're still going to make choices that are not honoring to him, he still blesses us. And in the end, we will win. Some of you, maybe you're familiar with Andrew Lloyd Webber's um, work, Joseph and the... Uh, or the amazing technical Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dream Coat, and and in that story, the narrator inserts himself, and he speaks a message to Joseph while he is in prison that says, "Do not despair. I've read the book, and you come out on top." That would have been really helpful for Joseph to know, but no narrators were telling him at that time. It'd be really helpful for you and I to know. But if we've read the book, we understand that in the end, we come out on top. That said, in the meantime, neither for Joseph when he was in prison, nor for you and I when we are through our times of chaos, whatever that might involve, do we have a guarantee about this life, that it won't contain trouble and struggles. What we do have is we know that eternity will put us connected with God. And that's a beautiful part. And so knowing the end of the story, but not knowing what's going to happen between now and then, we're reminded that we live by faith. And we live by trust. And if we do that, following God's way, that ultimately... In the end, we're going to experience God's best. Joseph and Jacob get to experience a beautiful moment in life. And it happened because they continued to live God's way. God had made Abraham a promise that through Jacob and Joseph, they would build a great nation. And that's what he's in the process of doing. And listen, though we may not see it unfolding in real time in our lives or in our marriages or in our families or in all of our relationships God is working things for our good even now in the midst of life's successes and life's struggles both so what do we do in the midst of these changing circumstances when you don't know on any given day if things are going to trend good or things are going to trend bad, do you know what they've trended like to this point? I would suggest we follow the wisdom of the writer of the book of Hebrews who encourages us in chapter 10, verse 23, when he writes, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess because he who promised is faithful. That's where I'm going to cast my vote. (laughs) That's who I'm going to trust in. Listen, God's plan, like it's interwoven in all of the troubles and the challenges of life. Not apart from them, it's part of them. God works through the famines. God works through the betrayals. God works through the mistreatments. All the things we've read about here through our trials and troubles. We have to trust That God has reasons that we can't see. 
And we trust him even when we don't understand. And hopefully you've journeyed long enough with him to know that trust is a reasonable act on our part. Because God has shown himself faithful to you in your life. Pioneer missionary Hudson Taylor founded the Inland Christian Mission because he knew that there were so many people in the nation of China who needed to hear the gospel. And he gave his life to that work. And it's said that during the Boxer Rebellion, which happened around 1900 or so, that there was so much persecution that they were actually seizing missionaries and putting them to death. And it was such an agonizing time for him that it said that he couldn't even pray. In fact, this is what he wrote in his journal, summarizing kind of his spiritual condition during that time. He said, I can't read, I can't think, I can't pray, but I can trust. And listen, many of us recognize that time in life. It's sometimes hard to read the Bible. It's sometimes difficult To focus our thoughts on God. Sometimes it's just silent when we try to pray. And in those moments when we can't do any of those things, we can still trust the loving promises and purposes of God. And that's where we rest. I hope, like Joseph <laughs> That your life is a balance of those, like you have some of those reunion days to balance out some of those days of struggle. I, I hope some of the changes that God has made in your life, some of the blessings that God has brought to your life, um, that, that it gives you hope. It gives me hope that one day we, like Joseph, will be able to experience the rewards of a life of faithfulness that God promises. Until then, the question is, will you trust him? And maybe just more specifically, the question is today, will you trust him? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing. And... For some of you, like that struggle to trust him is really hard right now because of the difficulties of your life. And for some of you, frankly, the, the struggle to trust him is hard because of the wanderings of your life. Whichever way that hits you today, you need some help getting back on track. We'd like to pray with you and talk with you about that. For some of you, you've yet to trust him. And your life is reminding you <laughs> that you're just not powerful enough to make it go where you want it to go. And maybe you need to trust him for the first time. We'd like to talk to you about that too. So I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. While I'm singing, I'll step to the back there and grab a hold of me or one of our other leaders and let's talk about what it looks like to trust God in the good times and bad and long enough to be able to, re, to, be able to live through to these reunion days where we get to experience God's blessings. All right? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for each person that um, has made time to engage with you this morning, for our team that led us in worship, for those that are watching on our live stream, those that are here today, those that are giving you their time and their energy and their effort and their attention and their hearts so you might speak your words into them. And Lord, I trust that that is happening. 
and that you would lead us to a place where we could trust you in greater depth with our lives. Trust your love, trust your plans, trust your provisions, even when um, things look dark. Even in the midst of times of blessings, Lord, meet us here today in a special way so we might live lives that are more honoring to you and more likely to have more of those blessing days, we pray in Jesus' name.